Hello folks, this is Evan Brand. Thanks for joining me. Life got a little crazy there. I'm a certified functional medicine practitioner and nutritional therapist. If you're new to the show, that's who I am. I've been running this thing for, this is uh, year, year number seven of the podcast, so honored to be with you. Thank you for lending me your ears for a bit. I hope to make your life more enjoyable, less stressful, more educated. You're part of the one percenters in terms of education. 99% of people don't know what I know and what I share with you on this show about functional medicine. You don't believe me, go down the street and go ask somebody, hey, do you know what mitochondria do? Hey, do you know what the Krebs cycle is? Hey, do you know what mercury does to the brain? Hey, do you know about the the blood-brain barrier? Is your blood-brain barrier leaky? Do you have a permeable blood-brain barrier, sir? They're going to say, what the hell are you talking about? So people don't know this stuff, you know, and this is very important because if you want to take control of your life, you're not going to be able to do that by going down the street to your local doctor and saying, hey, I've got this pain in my left foot. Do you know what that is? Or, hey, I've got this pain in my chest. What is it? They probably don't have an answer. And so I'm not anti-doctor. I'm just anti-people who don't have the answers that I want. And I had to figure all this stuff out myself because I got prescription pads written for antidepressants and uh, antispasmatic drugs and acid blocking drugs and all sorts of stuff when I was trying to get help from the conventional medical field and I, I did not take any of those prescription drugs and I fixed my gut I cleared out parasites I got rid of H. pylori I fixed my mitochondrial issues I detoxed heavy metals I started doing sauna therapy I did a lot. I'm still on the journey because now I've got insanely high levels of okra toxin that showed up in my urine. I'm going to start running this on every client. So if you're a client of mine listening, hey, make sure we talk about this. We need to get a mycotoxin panel run on you because, you know, I was living in, in my brand new house, which I thought was so peachy and started having all those blood pressure problems, which we discussed on the podcast. And I told you about how I had cavitations. I got those removed and then my heart palpitations went away, but I still had these blood pressure problems. And then I started getting these weird skin rashes on my face. I look like a raccoon. And my wife's like, well, what the heck happened to you? And I didn't know. I, I had no idea. And then we got these plates, these little Petri dishes that I put in my house. And sure enough, my attic, my crawl space, my house all had mold in it and levels that were definitely unsafe based on my genetics. I was having a reaction to it and didn't know it. So I reached out to the guy named JW, who's the head guy at Immunolytics Laboratory. We're going to be talking with him in just a minute. You'll get to hear this interview. He's been a game changer. JW, if you're listening, thank you, man. You're the best. You've been saving my life, literally. I've been in the hotel for, it was three or four weeks I was in a hotel. I'm talking to you now from my new house and my new office. And so I'm grateful to be able to be with you. And I'm still getting settled in, of course, but I'm out of the environment. I did have this new house remediated for mold, kind of as a preventative. There were some minor issues here, not as bad as the old house, but I had Jeff of BioBalance come to my house. Hello, Jeff, if you're listening. And he used his fogging solution with these essential oils, and we fogged the entire house. It was so fun. The fog was so thick that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face when it was on. And it's all safe, so you can breathe it in while it's going on. And I feel good. I'm not having any rashes. My blood pressure is back to perfect, 120 over 80. Pulse is back to normal. Everything is starting to turn around for me. So, you know, it was a hell of a journey even in the hotel because here's the problem with mold toxicity is that when you try to escape an environment that's really bad, if you go from a really bad place to a less bad place, you're not any better. 
right? So let's make a, a scale up. Let's say one out of 10, 10 is the worst. That's your current house you're living in that's moldy. If you go to a hotel that's still moldy and it's maybe a six or a seven, you went from a bad to a less bad place. You didn't go from bad to good. So this is why people don't heal. And I got this question on my Facebook page. If you stalk me there, you can go look at my urine test results. You can see my levels of okra toxin, which is a mycotoxin. What is a mycotoxin? It is a toxin. Think of it as the poop of the mold. So penicillium and aspergillus, they produce mycotoxins such as okra toxin. And you can measure this in the urine. And the reference range is 4 to 20 on this particular test. And my levels are 196. So you do the math. I'm extremely high off the charts. And that okra toxin damages the kidneys. It's a known cancer-causing mycotoxin. It's bad news. It should not be in my body. And I'm grateful I found it because I don't want cancer. I want to be here for a long time to help you guys. So I'm detoxing this as fast as I possibly can. At one point, I think I discussed this on the show, but at one point I was so dizzy that even going to the grocery store, uh, you know, a lot of those grocery stores, they have those little automatic sprayers where they spray the produce to keep it moist. Being around all that moisture was enough to make me so dizzy, I could not drive my vehicle. I could get to the grocery store, but then my wife would have to drive us home. If we went out to a restaurant and they had indoor plants or other issues in the restaurant, I'd go in the restaurant just fine, and I'd leave the restaurant so dizzy it was like I was drunk. So my bucket has been so full with these mycotoxins from living in my water-damaged house that I've been to the point where some would call it SEERS, the Chronic Inflammatory Response Syndrome. This is a term coined by Dr. Richie Shoemaker, guy who's been in the mold industry for quite a while. He kind of created that term to try to explain, what do you name this? What do you name this condition where you walk in somewhere and you get dizzy, or you walk in somewhere and you get a rash, or you walk in somewhere and you have a mood swing, or your body gets cold, or your appetite goes weird or you get night sweats what is that and he called it sears so i don't really like labels i don't really like terms but if i had to describe what i think was happening i would say it's that and so now i'm doing as aggressive detoxification as i can but you can't go too fast because then you feel worse so it's a really really tricky spot and this is why people suffer so much in the mold illness category because conventional doctors don't have a clue and even the functional doctors they hardly have a clue there's only a few people out there that are really respected in this field you've got to just be really really slow so as always i'm figuring most of this stuff out myself and i'm playing with protocols with the help of a couple friends giving me some advice on different binders and such to use i'm trying to stay away from any pharmaceutical binding drugs or anything like that i want to do this the natural way you know, that's my whole philosophy. I've had people tell me, Evan, you can't treat parasites like blastocystis hominis without antiparasitic drugs. They're wrong. I've done it a thousand times with herbs. So I want to prove more people wrong and prove you can treat this naturally using just herbal and natural products. So that's my little rant and update about what's going on. Let's get into the podcast with JW about mold and some pretty cool stuff. I don't even remember what the heck we talked about, but I know this was a good interview and I was just now able to publish it because my computer was in quarantine. So enjoy this. And if you do want to reach out to me, you can get a hold of me or Megan. I have her on staff as well. She sees a lot of my new clients so we can hurry up and get the labs run on you in a quick fashion. And then you follow up with me and we make a protocol to help you get better. You can figure out my calendar availability, Megan's calendar, her availability. That's all on my website. It's Evan Brand, E-V-A-N, last name Brand, B-R-A-N-D.com. Enjoy. JW, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so you've been blowing my mind. So JW and I, I mean, you know, thank God that he came into my life at this time. 
Uh, you know, my buddy Jack Wilson, he said, Evan, you have mold in your house. I said, Jack, there's no way. It's brand new. He said, you got to test your house. I'm like, oh, okay, not going to be any mold. I get a hold of Immunolytics. I talk with JW. He said, Evan, 48 hours is all it takes if there's a surface that is moist and it's not getting dry the way it's supposed to. Something like that. He said it much more eloquently than that. And I thought, well, holy crap, I hope that there's no mold. And we get the plate testing back. And sure enough, our dining room where I come, you know, when I get done working in my upstairs office, which tested zero mold, and I feel great during the workday, I'm upstairs working, and then I come down to eat dinner, and as soon as I get to the dinner table, I start getting dizzy, and I start getting nauseous, and my wife says I look pale, and I lose my appetite, and it's almost like I don't want to eat dinner. And then sure enough, guess what? The plate in my dining room shows up with high mold. I mean, that just blew my mind right away, JW. Sure. Yeah, well, you know, there's two things that I like to say. I have a, a few sayings, and one of them is, new does not mean clean. You know, we have to consider the building materials that are used. And I know here in New Mexico, when they put up a house, if a rainstorm comes through and dumps on it while they're building it, they don't dry that sucker out. They just continue on with construction, throw the roof on and keep going, and they seal in a bunch of water. And the building materials that they use are often left outside, so they bring in mold, and they're not always starting with a clean environment. Well, see, I mean, that's what kind of freaked me out, just watching this place go up. I mean, I saw the framing, and like I told you previously, we got like 25 extra inches above average. You know, we got like 80 inches of rain in 2018, something insane. Wow. And I saw the framing, and it had just poured rain, you know, a day or two before, and then all of a sudden they start throwing the roof on in the walls. Yeah, that's, that's real common. And if you take a moisture meter to those two-by-fours, the magic number is really 14%. You need to be below 14% moisture in there for them not to grow mold. And it takes days to dry out two by fours before they, uh, you can continue with construction safely, but no construction guys really do that. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, how realistically, how would you even do that in Kentucky? For example, like if it's raining every other day, I mean, do you just have a helicopter hold a tarp over your house while they put the roof on? Like, what do you do? That's a great question, man. And honestly, I don't know the answer. I don't know how they get around it. Oh, gosh. I mean, because I've, I, you know, I've gotten tons of uh, emails and questions already ever since you and I started talking together. And people are like, well, I'm building a house or this happened or this happened. Like, you know, people were getting their, their uh, roof redone after they got hail damage. And then it's pouring rain as the guys are putting the roof back together. It's like, oh, my right. Lord, how do you avoid this? Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult. But, you know, if nothing else, you have to just kind of seal up the outside of the structure and then use dehumidifiers and dry it out from inside. You know, with heat and dehumidification, you can usually do it. Uh, but you have to monitor the wood. You have to stab it with the protometer and see what it actually reads moisture-wise. Uh, well, let's chat about some statistics. Maybe we start there together. You've been doing this for a while. What are you seeing, you know, across the country, just in the U.S., just in terms of, you know, if you could throw out some percentages or maybe a pie chart, this or, you know, is there a, a good or a bad place to live in the U.S. for mold? Or, or have you seen places even in where you think in the desert there'd be no problem, there's still problem? Yeah, well, I think that's it. There are some places, you know, the higher the humidity, the more likely it is to have a mold problem. But we certainly have mold out here in the desert as well. So uh, southeast U.S. is probably where we see the most problems. But, of course, the, the northwest U.S. Is, is pretty wet as well. So there's just high levels of mold everywhere. 
So, you know, the, the most important thing, and I say this all the time and I can't emphasize it enough, is no moisture, no mold. It's, it's that simple. So you have to keep organic materials dry. And you referred earlier to the 48 hours. That's kind of the, the magic number. After 48 hours, mold begins to grow. And, of course, it's exponential. So you have to keep building materials dry no matter where you are. Uh, here in the desert, we have flat roofs and swamp coolers, and both of those keep us in business just within our state. Uh, it's just a, a lot of work mold-related because of leaking swamp coolers, leaking flat roofs. Um, so, you know, if you get into like the mold avoider community, those people who are highly sensitive and do everything they can to avoid mold, they do seem to end up in the kind of the Arizona, New Mexico, and sometimes up into Colorado, this kind of region. Uh, and I think that's probably wise because say you fix your house there in Kentucky, you still have to go to the library. You still have to go to the grocery store. You still have friends whose houses you visit. You have to say, okay, well, what percentage of these places have mold contamination? Let me and it's tell much you this. higher. Let me tell you this. I forgot to tell you this. It's, I mean, it's not going to blow your mind. I'm sure nothing will blow your mind at this point, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, since the last time you and I talked, my wife and I went out to a barbecue restaurant, and we walked in, and we were standing in line to order, and within 30 seconds of me walking in that building, I got hit with a wave of dizziness so severe I almost fell over. And before yeah. I walk out of the building, I look up, and it's one of those like hipster places where they don't seal off the roof and it's just a bunch of like wood boards up there you know like you know talking about yep. and there's and there's water spots all over those wood all over those wood boards up there and sure so I just had yeah to walk you know, out. yeah we had a similar situation all my family's mold susceptible and my wife when she was real bad we walked into a used bookstore in san francisco and we probably made about 15 steps before she got the irritable bowel syndrome you know symptoms and we had to walk right back out and she was sick for several hours after that so it was it was just a few breaths and that was enough for her body to begin reacting so yeah i totally understand what you're saying wow now you're saying irritable bowel like she was going to poop her pants if she stayed in there well, you know, remember, I'm an environmental guy, not a medical guy. What, I, what that means to me is she was doubled over with, like, cramping pains. Oh. And that's why she described it to me, and I didn't ask for more detail. Oh, my God. Wow. So yeah. how is she now? Oh, she's, she's I'd say, 95% completely recovered. So her major mold exposure was just over seven years ago, a house that they were living in. Uh, well, actually, man, seven years. It's been 10 years now because it was before we were married. Um, and I kind of helped her get out of that, but the, and the symptoms started resolving themselves, but the uh, gluten intolerance was the one that was kind of the last one to, to really resolve. And she's gotten to where now she eats gluten. She's not doubled over in pain for 24 hours, but if she eats it day to day to day, then she, she still has some symptoms. So now, I'd say 95% recovered. Now that's weird. So are you thinking that's because of the mycotoxins that often contaminate grains? Um, well, I think that's kind of the million dollar question is exactly what is setting off the sensitivity. I know that um, when you have been exposed to mold, you become chemically sensitive and, and sensitive to numerous things, whether it's grains or scents or whatever it may be, those sensitivities take time to resolve. Now, is the sensitivity to the grain or the mycotoxin in the grain? Not sure. And maybe both. Wow. You're saying something that I don't want to skip over lightly here because it's blowing my mind. You know, I used to not be sensitive to perfumes and fragrances, but now if I walk past an old lady with perfume on, I immediately get a headache, and that used to not happen. Now, I used to just say, well, it's a toxic chemical, everybody should think it stinks, it should probably hurt everybody's head, but you're saying no, extra chemical sensitivity could be due to my mold exposure. 
Oh yeah, they're almost always correlated. So I, when I see somebody who has sensitivity to chemicals, I almost always know that they've been mold exposed. I mean, it's just it's the most common uh, toxic exposure. So when we talk about the environmental exposures that a person can experience, by far the most common is mold exposure. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Cause like I said, I used to not be like that. And I thought, well, maybe as I cleaned up my life, I became more sensitive because I was avoiding those toxins, but you're saying no, no, no. Essentially it just, it created sensitivity to you and it's, it's a sensitivity you'll have until your body's completely healed itself. Ah, okay. Okay. So what else yeah. did you do, uh, you and your wife to, to get her to that 95% better? Well, listen, this is the key is 80% of recovery is fixing the environment or getting out of the environment. So it is the trigger and something has to be done about that. The last 20% are, are your end of it, right? Where it's, it's uh, approaching the diet, the nutraceuticals, maybe some pharmaceuticals to kill off the mold, whatever it is, because the mold can colonize within the body and create ongoing problems even after you leave the environment. But 80% of it is get your environment clean. Because if, if you take and clean a person up, and send them back into that environment, they're going to get the symptoms again. So it's a, it's a losing battle until you fix the environment. So for us, yeah, we, we went through the hierarchy of, of fixing an environment, which is very simple in principle, a little difficult in implementation. And that is first, you have to fix the source. And I know this sounds like common sense, but it has to be said, you've got to get rid of the mold, whatever that is, whatever the water leak is, whatever the moisture intrusion is, stop it, get rid of the mold. That takes care of a huge amount of the problem. Then the second is to increase ventilation. You've got to bring clean air in from a known source and exhaust out the bad air. You have to have some air exchanges. In our region, it's very easy to do with the, the ERV systems, the energy recovery ventilators, where we bring in fresh air, exhaust out the bad air, and it just crosses past so that you recover that energy, whether you're heating or cooling. In areas with higher humidity, it's a little more difficult because that condensation can occur, but you've got to have that air exchange. And then finally, the third rung is to, to filter the air, whether that's just better filters in your HVAC system or the standalone HEPA filters. Uh, those are the things that we do to really improve the environment. And then we have a maintenance protocol where we use some of the natural botanicals, um, to treat the environment and, and clean it up, keep the mold levels down. Because even though we don't have any active water sources, I've got six kids and two dogs, and man, they're dirty. They bring in all kinds of stuff. So we constantly have to maintain our environment. Wow, that's a trip. Now, uh, were you and your wife, were you all in uh, New Mexico when, when she got sick, or was she living somewhere else? No, she was here in New Mexico, so it was a house with a roof leak that had a bad stachybotrys problem. But at that time, she didn't know anything about mold. So her daughter, who I have since adopted and is my daughter, she was getting flu-like symptoms with a 105-degree fever that would last three to five days, and it would recur every two weeks. So she went to 13 different doctors uh, trying to figure out what was wrong, and they were thinking maybe she had some weird form of cancer. They were testing for everything and couldn't figure it out. Well, she and I were just kind of uh, um, getting to know each other then. I said, hey, you guys, you're in a moldy house, and the mold's killing your daughter. And she, you know, fortunately listened to me and moved in with her parents immediately, and my daughter's symptoms resolved. 
It was that simple. She, with a kid, especially their immune system seems to bounce back a lot quicker than those of us that are a little older. And so she recovered pretty quick. But the problem is the mold exposure, I, I compare it to like a welder. If you know anything about welding, if you ever burn your eyes welding, your eyes are very sensitive and they burn much easier, um, you know, if you're exposed to the welding or UV light. It's the same with mold. Once that gene is turned on and you've had that exposure, you're much more susceptible to it. So my daughter now is 17 years old, and um, if she gets exposed to mold, and I, my gut feeling is it's got to be a fairly high level of mold for at least 15 minutes, then three, la- three days later she'll be sick in bed. Um, so she still has a susceptibility, but if she doesn't get exposed, she's 100% normal. She doesn't have like ongoing hormone issues or any of the sensitivities that she had before. Wow. Now you say she'll be in bed. What, what's what going on symptom wise at that point? Yeah, it's, it's flu like. So, I mean, she gets aches, she gets just absolute chronic fatigue. She turns actually gray in the face and she gets a fever. And those symptoms are so consistent that we know that two to three days prior to her having those symptoms, she was in the moldy environment. Mm-hmm. So we, we use her almost like a canary. We can just say, Hey, this place you were at, you can't go to again. I know. I kind of joke that I'm the canary, but I don't want to be the canary. <laughs> it's like, yeah, gosh. Yeah. Now my daughter, I hear you, she's, uh, we are. she's two and a half. So I just wonder, you know, cause she, we showed up, uh, she showed up on her stool test with some parasite issues. And I've noticed too, that she's had some skin changes with her face. Her face has looked pale, almost like mine. When my wife says, I don't look good. We'll look at my daughter and her face. I, it's interesting. You say your daughter goes gray. It's kind of the same thing. So are you thinking that uh, with my daughter's exposure, are you thinking that's setting her up for a lifetime of being triggered so easily, or is it too early to say? Well, you guys share the genetics. So if you're mold susceptible, it's very likely that she'll be mold susceptible. The key is not to give her such a high exposure rate that she she's overly sensitive throughout her life. So what the heck so you, do you, you do? I mean, as as possible. your daughter's 17, so when she's 18, 19, yeah. 20, 21, gets a boyfriend, goes to her boyfriend's moldy house, and then comes home sick, it's like, how do you... You know, I don't know if you've thought through this. How do you put in a protection plan for your daughter so that when she grows up and gets into someone else's house or she's moving in with somebody, that she's not going to just get sick? Yeah, we've we've actually spent a lot of time on that, and a lot of it's just been conversations with her. Like she wanted to be a nurse, and she really wanted to be kind of like an itinerant nurse and, and travel around. And we told her, you know, that's just not realistic for your sensitivities. So what we're going to have to do is she gets her own place. Well, I'm going to go in and I'm going to test it. and I'm going to clean it up for her and make sure it's safe. And uh, if she gets a job, that's a problem. Well, I'm going to try and help her find one that's not. I mean, you know, just practically with her growing up, uh, we would test our church to see if our church was, was clean. Uh, she spent time at the library. Well, we'd monitor the library and see if it was if it was clean enough for her. And so you kind of, you know, adjust your life accordingly. And there's just some times in which quality of life dictates what she's going to do. So she's got a good friend and her good friend is going to have a Halloween party. Well, she's going to go to the Halloween party and risk getting sick. And she knows that. And as long as she makes an educated decision, that's her decision. Now, when you say monitor, are you just talking with your plates or are you talking other yep. other ways? No, we monitor. I mean, the plates are just by far the cheapest and easiest. It's a real good litmus test to see if an environment's uh, contaminated. So she'll just set a plate out when she's out or I'll go test an environment for her prior to her going there. Uh, routinely and we just test it you know here in new mexico i've got a bunch of tools that i use i i, I look at vocs and particulate counts and co2 and a bunch of different in, indoor uh, air quality parameters but just mold is the atom bomb man it's the one we look for because it causes the most damage 
Wow. Now, uh, in terms of plate testing, let's talk about that. You and I chatted a little bit off air about like ERMI testing, which everyone's like, oh, you have to get an ERMI test. You have to get an ERMI test. Can we talk about that and kind of compare sure. and contrast a bit? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you know, just from our discussions, I've been in this industry for a long time. Started when I was 13 years old. So I've got just about 28 years in the environmental testing arena, which is kind of hard to believe. And we looked at ERMI doing that early on about 17 years ago. I visited with uh, uh, was it Steve Jasper over at EPA who developed it. And there's just so many flaws with the ERMI interpretation that we, we decided to stay away from it. But it is a useful tool. So every form of testing, you know, is, is, is science, and science isn't perfect. So there are some weaknesses with the gravity plates. There are some weaknesses with spore trap. There are some weaknesses with ERMI. You just have to know what those are and try and get around them. Uh, some of the weaknesses with ERMI is the interpretation. They're, they're deciding on what was the water damage building and what wasn't is flawed. Uh, they're deciding on which group of molds are in, in group one and which group of molds are in group two is flawed. I mean, if you look at that uh, alternary as a group two mold, which means it's subtracted out of group one, and yet it's the most antigenistic mold. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, at the same time, ERMI is a little better at picking up stachybotrys. I mean, since you're doing a dust collection sample, the stachy that doesn't get into the air very easy and doesn't stay in the air very easy, it's pretty good to, to use an ERMI to pick that up. Um, ERMI is also pretty expensive. I mean, last time I did it, it was 125, 150 bucks. So realistically, people are only taking one sample, maybe two to characterize a house. That may give you an idea of if there's a mold problem somewhere in the house, but it doesn't give you any data on where that could be. So we use the gravity plates because we can do five gravity plates for the same price as an ERMI, and that gives us five different data points within the house. It's a simple test. Anybody can collect the sample, and uh, you get a visual representation of what you're breathing. It's, it's just a, a very practical way to do it. I love it. I mean, I love the plates. So, so far, uh, you and I have done uh, 10 plates together. We did five on my current house and then five on this other house that I was looking at buying. And we just got the report and chatted about today. I mean, I would say this other house that looks, you know, picture perfect uh, on paper is as bad, if not worse, would you say, than, than the one I'm in now? I totally agree. I think it's worse than the one you're in now. Yeah. And it looks fabulous. And that's, that's why we test, you know, you, not all mold problems are visible. And when you get five samples, like, like you did on this house, it gives us a much better picture of what the overall indoor air quality is and how to improve that. So as you and I discussed, I mean, there's some very simple solutions that I think are going to take care of the problem in this new house. Okay. Yeah. I mean, cause this is the problem, right? I had a woman and I, I'm sure you have stories you can tell too. I had a woman who uh, found out that, uh, you know, she had a, I don't know if she, I don't remember what it was. Don't quote me on, on, on what led her to do this, but she, she was so tired. She had such chronic fatigue that she quit her job. Right. But then mm -hmm. she comes home to rest and recover and her house was contaminated with mold. She got 10 times more sick when she quit her job, Yep. but she thought the job was making her sick. So she quit and yep. came home, and she was a housewife then, you know, and, and then now she's 10 times worse. Can you tell yep. any stories like that? Oh, man, how many, how many would you like? Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, so let me tell you the story about the guy that really kind of linchpinned this all together. His name's Walter Hayers. He's a brilliant guy that's in his 70s now that started PCCA. It's the largest compounding pharmacy organization in the world. They had like 150 million clients. I mean, it's just absurd how big it was. He was dying and couldn't figure out why. 
laying on the couch in his house, completely unable to think. A guy who built class one clean rooms had done everything possible to get himself better and was dying. But he had trained pharmacists all over the world, so he started calling them up. They said, you know what? When we have weird cases like this, we send them to Dr. Donald Dennis there in Atlanta, Georgia. So he flew out to, to see Dr. Doc Dennis, who's like the OG of mold. He's been doing it for over 30 years. Guy's brilliant with mold. And um, he got him well. He got him well right away. He said, yeah, it's mold, and, and this is what you have to do. Walter was feeling great. Flew back home, got onto his couch, and within a day was, was so sick he, he couldn't see straight again. Turned out there was alternaria growing all in his uh, attic space right above that couch around a chimney that, that uh, the penetration was leaking. And so he was deathly ill right here from his house. This is a guy that knows everything medical possible, and he was dying of mold exposure. So, yeah, I mean, we see these things all the time. Now, when you say dying, like, would this house I'm in now or that other house, would that kill me based on what you saw? Well, that's a, it's a tough call. The house you're in now, I don't see red flags big enough to say that, that uh, it would kill you. I mean, really, it's the mycotoxin exposure. Uh, so another story we, to help uh, hopefully narrow this down, we had a guy up in Colorado who, was ha- who had 13 cardiovascular events, various heart attacks or similar type things, and found out that it was mold-related. Well, in his case, he had a separate room. He was a big game hunter, and he, he liked to collect the trophy animals. So he had a room filled with, like, grizzly bears and zebras and all these big you know, mounted animals that he had killed around the, the world that were just full of mold because they, oh, uh, no. they hadn't been mounted properly. So, you know, we took some of these gravity plates, and we did a tap test on them, and, man, there was so much mold coming off those that once we went through and addressed the problem in his game room where he spent most of his time, his cardio, uh, cardiovascular events quit. That was it. He was a prominent banker up there in, in Colorado. So, you know, when we see this, we see all these different health symptoms based on genetic susceptibilities and, and I guess where your immune system is really the weakest. Um, so it can cause those, but it's usually, it's usually long-term uh, doses of mold or real high short-term doses, and it's usually the more toxic, some of the stachybotrys, alternaria, aspergillus, those are more common. Um, but long-term exposure, even penicillium, breathing that chronically will, will create those health symptoms. Now, I looked at some blood work on myself, and my HSCRP level was extremely low. So I don't know if that means that it hasn't affected my cardiovascular system yet, or maybe just the systemic inflammation just hadn't showed up on the blood work yet. What do you think? Uh, Possible. Remember, you're talking to an engineer here in the environmental industry. So from my experience, uh, that sounds about correct, but don't don't quote me on that. Let me tell you in my own life, because when I get in moldy environments, I used to do inspections all the time, and I I can't anymore. I'm too sensitive. But in my own life, I use a a test strip for nitric oxide, and when my uh, nitric oxide level is very low and I get exposed to mold, I get heart palpitations. So I can just check my nitric oxide, and if it's real low, I take a shot of beetroot powder or uh, some pine bark, and it bumps my nitric oxide level up, and I have zero problems. Holy so crap. That's a, you know, yeah, super simple way. Well, maybe you don't know this. Walter's amazing. I can't. I got to talk to Walter again. We spent like an hour on the phone after you connected with me with him, so I'm, oh, so, good. Gr- I'm so grateful. Uh, Walter's sure. awesome. Uh, so get this. Th- I mean, this won't blow your mind. I- I'd love to say this will blow your mind and actually blow it, but I'll just have to let that down because you've you've heard too much but okay uh, long story short i was having heart palpitations for months and months and months in the beginning of 2018 blood pressure spikes as well 
And that led me to a surgeon down in Texas who cut open my jaw and scooped out the dead bone because I had cavitations, which are infections in the jawbone from previous wisdom tooth extractions. And yep. after I got that done, my heart palpitations stopped, but then my blood pressure spikes have remained over the second quarter of, or the second half rather, of 2018. So I spoke with Walter and I told him what was going on. My hands are so cold, my feet so cold, my blood pressure spikes, my face goes pale. And he goes, I'm going to send you some of these nitric oxide test strips. And he said, I bet you're going to fail the test really bad. So sure enough, I did, and I just did this a few days ago. I whip out that nitric oxide test strip, put it on my tongue, you know, touch the tip to the other tip. I mean, that thing is so white. There's not even a hint of nitric oxide showing up on that thing. Yeah. That's not yeah. good. And, no, that's not good. And you're right. If, if I didn't know better, it would have blown my mind. But yeah, I mean, we see it time and time again. Those who are mold exposed are often real low in nitric oxide and magnesium as well. So, and glutathione. So, you know, we've tried every supplement and everything in the world. We've developed a protocol that works for most people. And it includes getting your glutathione up, getting your nitric oxide level up, and getting the magnesium back in you. And those three things right there usually turn people around immensely. It's not all the solution, but it's a big part of it. Okay, so here's what I'm doing now. So I am doing the, uh, I am doing the acetyl... Uh, the acetyl glutathione. I am doing the pine bark extract. I am doing the beet powder every day. I'm also doing a nitric oxide booster that's got a bunch of like arginine and citrulline and other amino acids in it. And then sure. I'm doing the Agrimax with the yep. Sinugator, the sinus rinse with the Agrimax in there, four drops of it twice a day. Great. Yeah. So the idea there, the Agrimax is to kill off any mold that's colonized within your sinuses and it works fabulously, but you got to understand that you got to kill the mold off slow or you'll get real sick from the kill off. Like uh, but happen? yeah, I mean, like when you say real sick, what would I be looking for? Whatever the symptoms are, they would increase in magnitude. That's the most typical. So you're saying if I do too much Agrimax or too often or. Yep. Yep, if, the kill, if your kill rate is too high and it's faster than your body can detox, then you'll get sick. Okay, now I'm taking some extra liver support, some extra binders, so I wonder if I can mitigate it. Now, are you saying any other part of that puzzle, like the, the pine bark or the glutathione, that would also detox me too quickly, or you're saying mainly just the killing like with the Agrimax? Well, yeah, I mean, we have, we have heard of patients in which just the detox protocol itself, just binding the toxins somehow, um, I guess those toxins are released in the blood and they'll get sick from that. But the, the biggest uh, increase in symptoms is usually from trying to kill it off, whether it's the amphotericin sprays that people use, oral antifungals, or just using some of the naturals like the Agrimax. Uh, if you kill it off too quick, people get sick. Understood. And I've got a couple antimicrobial, uh, antifungal herbs I'm taking. I've got two products of my own called Microbiome Support 1 and 3. So it's like berberine, olive leaf, Paul de Arco bark, French tarragon, like basically all the herbal antibiotic, antifungals. And I'm just going real slow with those. And so far, so good. I, I was telling you kind of off air, you know, I took a dose of charcoal last night and then I took a dose of charcoal this morning. And, you know, by the time that stuff kicked in, and my, my dizziness was probably 50% better. Yep, which is so and we hard see that to believe. Time and time again. That's just yeah. Crazy well, once you bind those toxins, man, symptoms go away. So I mean, so you're saying the toxins, like okay, so like if we talk through the order of operations here, so the molds in the environment, I'm breathing the mold in, and then it's just sitting in my gut. Is that what's going on, or? Um, well, 
yes and no. So see, the problem is the mold affects people in so many different ways. Like the most common thing you'll hear if you talk to somebody about being in in the mold industry is people say, oh, mold, I'm not allergic to that. Okay, so yeah, okay, mold is an allergen. That's kind of step one. You had the IgE versus the IgG responses, right? Delayed versus fast. The, The mold itself, though, can act as a super antigen in the body. So those people who are mold susceptible can't process the toxin, and the toxin is continuously recirculating through the body. When we say the toxin, the mycotoxins that, that the mold produce, they're, they both are fat-loving and water-loving. So it's unlike the separation between oil and water, the mycotoxin can just go wherever they want. So it circulates throughout your, your blood system. It gets into the fat cells. I mean, it just, it, they penetrate everywhere. It's not just sitting in, in your gut. It's throughout the body. Oh, now, of course your body. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then your body obviously de- detoxifies, you know, through the liver or through sweating or wherever it may be. So you may have higher concentrations there, but if you are one of the 25% who are mold susceptible, uh, then it's just going to recirculate throughout your body and create these almost autoimmune type reactions. Understood. Now, I'm guessing this is going to the brain, too, because it's causing these, like, sure. neuro problems. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now, we work with a real prominent neurologist out of Atlanta that studied this and, and has shown the brain lesions from mold toxins. Now, I wonder if you can reverse those. Uh, the answer that he has given me, because I've asked him that, and this is Dr. Larry Emting out of Atlanta, Georgia, he says uh, yes and no. So if you catch it early enough, then often the symptoms and uh, can be reversed. But if it's far enough down the rabbit hole, I believe he says, then a lot of those people, we can stop the progression, but not necessarily reverse it. Wow. I should probably interview this guy. You think he would come on the podcast? Of course he would. He's an awesome guy and hilarious. Okay, yeah. sweet. You'll have to connect me with him then. That would be sweet. You got uh, it. Yep. So, uh, so I talked with uh, my buddy Jack Wolfson. He's a cardiologist. His wife was real sick from mold. And what he told me, I was just talking with him yesterday. He told me something that's really helped her. And I just want to put this past you and see if you've heard of this or implemented this. Is uh, He's doing Argentian 23, the uh, colloidal silver brand. It's like better uh-huh. than colloidal. I don't know exactly. It's nano silver or something. Anyway. Uh, she is doing that through a, oh crap, what do you call those? A nebulizer. She is nebulizing yep. the silver to get the mold sure. out of the brain. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, you that think works. that would you know, be a good option? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that gets kind of more into your field than mine, but just speaking from talking to people, yeah. some people like to use ozone therapy in the sinuses. Some people like to use colloidal silver. Some like the natural uh, Agrimax type drops. I mean, there's there's different ways to affect it. And then, of course, some doctors just go the traditional route of using the amphotericin sprays or the fluconazole. So there's lots of ways to do it. Okay, okay. So so I'm going to continue doing the rinse, but you're saying not only could I do a nebulizer and breathe in the silver, I could also uh, put it through the sinuses, too, with that rinse. Yeah, you can. You just got to mix it up with the saline solution in a way that it won't burn them too bad. But, yeah, right. you can do it. That's amazing. Okay, is there anything else that I'm not doing that you think I should be doing? Uh, no, man, I think you're right on track. If you've got these uh, supplements to kind of support your immune system and you remove the toxin from your environment, that's generally how people recover. Okay, okay, that's good to hear. Well, I'm very grateful, and I want people to check out your company. We've already sold you know, a handful of test kits for people, so I don't care if you get it through us or if you get it straight through JW's website, but either way, I'll give it to you now. It's Immunolytics, so it's eyes and ice cream, Amazon Mary, Amazon Mary, 
U is in umbrella, N is in Nancy, O is in orange, L is in Larry, Y is in yellow, T is in Tom, I is in ice cream, C is in Charlie, S is in Sam. Immunolytics.com. That's where you can go. There's some videos on here. You can get these test kits. It's worth every freaking penny. I mean, five plates is a bargain. It's like 158 bucks at the time of this recording. And I told JW, this needs to be more expensive. This is too valuable. This should be way more expensive for how valuable it is. But you can go take advantage of this. You get five plates. They ship it to you. And then you get the report back. And man, I tell you, JW, I was hoping... You know, I spoke with your uh, the head of your lab. I was hoping when I talked with her, I was like, please tell me this is just a stock image of these plates. She goes, nope, those are the plates from your house. I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God, are you serious? Right. right. And that's why we include the picture is it really increases compliance on the patient side. So when they see what they're breathing, they're much more motivated to do something about it. So what do you all do? So I send these plates back into you all. So basically just for folks listening, we open these plates up. We, you know, they're not very big. You put these plates in different parts of your house. I seal them up. I tape them up. I cover them in the foil. We ship it back through the mail. We ship it over to you in Albuquerque. And then what happens from there? Sure. Yeah. Well, what we do is we incubate it proper temperature and humidity to really encourage the mold growth. And once the mold gets to a state in which it sporulates, then we can identify it. So based on visual techniques and then microscopy, where we actually prep the mold colonies and look at it under a microscope, we identify the, uh, the genus, not the species, but the genus of the mold. And then we prepare a report that says the type of mold we see, the amount of mold, and then the doctors we've worked with over the last 30 years have developed a health scale. And that's really the key is we can compare it to the health scale and say, hey, your environment might be making you sick. It might be contributing to illness. And that's really the key of what we do. So half of what we do is really on the testing side. The other half is really consulting. We will then, if, you, if the, your patients would like, we consult with them, say, hey, this is what we see. There are some red flags in these areas. We believe it's a, from water damage, or we believe it's just a maintenance issue. And here's the methods that we've used to successfully remediate this in the past. So that's kind of what we do. Now, what temperature are you growing these things at? Like when you put these plates, what, I mean, you said like mold friendly in situation or whatever. What, what is yeah, that? Yeah, you know, really 25 degrees centigrade and 95% humidity is pretty ideal for mold growth on Sabra dextrose auger. So that's kind of what we do. That's our, what, our starting I, point. I don't know the conversion in my head. That's like what, 25 centigrade? So that's times 2.2 that, or no, is that how you convert it? How do you convert it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty close to that, man. I'd, I'd have to, do, you know, I don't have the Fahrenheit number exactly in my head, but yeah, it's a, it's a little less like than 80 70, degrees. I was going to say, yeah, it's like 75, uh, something like that degrees. Yeah, yeah, okay. right. Yeah, so even people, you know, this time of year when, when freezing is possible, we'll tell them to, to take the sample, put it in foil, and set it in a, a room temperature or slightly warmer room for three days to really allow the mold to start growing before they ship them to us yeah. uh, so that the mold doesn't die off in transit. Now, when, the, when so when the plates get to you all, like in my case, was there something already visible inside of those plates before you all even open my package? Uh, sometimes there are. It just depends on the mold. They, they grow at different rates. If you had something like a rhizopus, I mean, 24 hours, it can take over an entire plate, uh, whereas stachybotrys may take 7 to 10 days to grow. So um, I don't remember specifically on your plates if there was any visible growth, but often there is. And uh, we kind of talked about statistics, but we didn't really throw out any numbers. And maybe people will say, oh, well, he's biased. He's seeing mold plates from people that are looking and suspecting for mold. So maybe your numbers, just like I say, everyone has parasites. Maybe your numbers are higher. But when you 
are testing these things, you know, how often are you seeing what you would say is a mold issue, like above your health scale? Sure. Well, let me back off and start with EPA. You know, EPA says that 50% of structures have some amount of mold contamination and that one in three structures will have water damage in a given year. So right there, you can see that this is a huge potential problem. Uh, of course, the, the plates that we see are people that usually suspect a mold problem. So, you know, 90% uh, probably have some a room with a mold problem. Maybe not the whole house, but maybe a room. Um, so it's pretty high. Wow. Now, like when I posted about this, I posted this whole story on my Facebook page and put a picture of the plates and all that. And there's people messaging me like, I have mold in my shower. I mean, is that obvious that that's making that person sick? If you can, if it's to the point where it's visible like that? Well, yes and no. So if you just got a little mold growing on the grout, um, that's probably not enough mold to, to make you sick, right? That's just, hey, Keep the, keep the bathroom dehumidified through fans or opening a window and clean off the mold on your grout. If you've got a big spot on, on your ceiling, like there's drywall above the shower and there's a spot of mold growing, well, yeah, the backside of that drywall within the walls, the, the ceiling space is probably growing pretty thick mold, and that's definitely enough to affect health. Wow. Okay. Now, if you see mold on a visible surface like wood, uh, I purchased, I can't remember which company. I know there's a couple different companies you recommend. It's like an orange bottle. I think it's called like mold solution concentrate. And I mm -hmm. mixed it with some water. If I like wipe that on or spray that on to like what looks like visible mold, will that take care of the issue? Well, it, it'll certainly, um, we don't like to use the word kill to denature uh, the mold to the point where it, it won't grow anymore. The problem is if you've got a hot, hard non-porous, well, excuse me, the, the good side is if you've got a hard non-porous surface, it's easy to treat the mold. But if the mold is actually growing on the wood so that the hyphae or mycelia uh, are growing down into the mold, then it's, it's better to, to actually do physical removal, which is often sanding or just removing the piece altogether. That's always the best and safest bet. Um, you know, a, a good 8 to 12% peroxide solution is also very effective at treating mold, actually killing it off from uh, wood items or, or anything like that. We don't recommend bleach ever because typically, for one, people who are chemically sensitive uh, react to bleach. So most of our mold patients can't be around bleach. Uh, two is that once the chlorine is gone, often there's a residue that's left that, that will actually encourage mold growth if it gets wet again. So peroxide is a little better as long as you, you get the area dry after you hit, hit it with peroxide. Um, so those are just a couple things we recommend. And will it become not visible at that point? Like, so I had part of our bed frame, I had that in the crawl space and that's where some of the water was. Now I pulled that piece out and it's hard to tell, I guess I could send you a picture, but it looks like there's some little, you know, smaller than a dime, these little circles that look like little pieces of black mold on that wood. But I, d I don't know what I'm looking at. You know, I'm not a trained eye, but when I look at it, it looks like, mm, that looks like kind of like dirt, but kind of not like dirt. So I put some of that mold concentrate on there and just kind of wiped it on. But I'm just wondering if I should do something more. Well, you know, if you want it visibly to be clean, peroxide is the best. It actually breaks down the structure so you can't even see it anymore. So we'll often recommend that. Okay. And uh, in terms of percentages, the highest I've seen is like a 3% hydrogen peroxide. Do you have to go somewhere special or is that just like an Amazon thing? You get a really potent peroxide. Yeah. Well, you know, it was 
not too long ago that I was buying 30% peroxide on Amazon, then I just dilute it three to one, and that's what I would use. Lately, I haven't seen it on Amazon, but a lot of the pool supply stores will carry uh, a peroxide solution, and some of the remediators as well. I think it's called Aftershock, something like that, that's, that's a higher percentage peroxide solution, and that works just fine. And you, and you do recommend diluting it. You don't want to go 30% on it. No, I wouldn't. It's just not necessary. And 30% will burn your skin pretty bad. So even 10% will burn you pretty good. So you have to be careful and wear gloves. Oh, wow. Okay. So I would just take a shot of the 30%, add some water to it. Maybe if I threw like a fourth cup of hydrogen peroxide and then do three-fourths cup of water, you think that dilution would be good enough? Yeah. Yeah. So like one cup of peroxide plus three cups of water, uh, you would be right around 10%. And that's ideal. And you can spray that directly on the mold. Sweet. Okay. That's cool. Yep. Well, I want people to check out immunolytics.com. Are there any other links or resources people should know about? That's the best place to start because from there we, we have companies that we've worked with and we have protocols that we know that, that do work. And so we can kind of guide your patients or your listeners down those roads if necessary. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough. And, uh, you know, we're still, we're still in the journey. We're not on the other side of the journey, but I just want to say thank you for your help so far. I'm telling you, this is just, I, I mean, I thought I was doing everything right. You know, you try so hard on these other pieces, going to bed on time, dialing in the diet, you know, getting outside, right. getting nature exposure. And then here you are in an environment that's making you sick. It's just hard to believe. And it's sad to think how many people are not listening to this episode and how many people are out there right now getting a prescription pad written for an antidepressant because they're depressed or some drug because they're tired or something else. And they just haven't got to this answer here. This is the root cause for so many problems. Yep. You're exactly right. And that's why we keep fighting. Well, keep up the good fight and thanks again. It's been all my pleasure to speak with you. Same here. Thank you. Take care. You too. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I got my daughter, Summer, here. She wants to say hi. Hi. All right, so I have spoken a lot with JW since the interview, so I'll get him back because there's a lot of new developments and things I've learned since then. Uh, I'll get it back on soon. I'll probably get Jeff on the podcast too because he's the guy who just came to my house to do the fogging solution to help treat this new home that I'm in. Uh, this is a huge problem. You know, I've likely been underdiagnosing this problem. There's so many symptoms that are tied into mold, anything from fatigue to joint pain to morning stiffness to insomnia to ice pick pain to headaches to light sensitivity to multiple chemical sensitivity. You know, it turns out that multiple chemical sensitivity like perfumes, fragrances, cigarettes, smoke, any type of smells that bother you, that's all a result of biotoxin exposure. So let me re-say it, say it a different way so you'll understand. So if you've been exposed to biotoxins like mold, that means you're likely to be sensitive to other chemicals. So someone's perfume may set you off and you feel nauseous from it. Yes, the perfume is toxic, but your overexposure or your oversensitivity rather is a manifestation of being exposed to mold. So mold filled up the bucket and then the chemical puts you over the edge. And so if you get out of the moldy environment, you would think the problems just magically go away, but that's not the case because in my situation, I was out of the house, I was living out of the hotel, which was probably moldy, who knows, and my levels are still very, very high. So this idea of you just remove yourself from the environment, sure, that's a good thing to do, but you still have to work and detoxify the mycotoxins because they end up in the brain, the liver, the kidneys. I don't know if we fully know or not know where all the mold goes, but we know it's at least in the brain because we see 
changes when we do MRIs on people's brains, we see changes in the brain when they're exposed to mold. So this stuff goes deep, I'll tell you. And I would say 80, 90% of the people going to the doctor for random aches and pains and other issues, they probably have mold. They're never going to get tested. They're never going to get treated for it, though. They'll get diagnosed with depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or arthritis or who knows what else. And then here's this drug, right? I can't tell you how many people since I started opening the can of worms on this subject. A lot of my clients have said, Evan, you know, I was diagnosed with XYZ. And this is just because the medical profession feels like they have to diagnose people. It's like, okay, we we want to give you a label. So let me come up with a label. Let me figure out what it is. I'm going to try to put you in this box. And inside of that box, there's a specific uh, systematic list of drugs that we can prescribe based on this, quote, diagnosis. But symptoms are symptoms, and it's caused by something. Like rheumatoid arthritis. Okay, what is that? Well, that's an autoimmune condition. But it's not a deficiency of drugs. It's sometimes just a Prevotella Capri infection we see and fix on the stool test, and then the RA goes away. So when you get put into that box and you get that in-the-box thinking, that's all the solution you get is is a drug. And I just want you to think outside of the box and know that there's a root cause for everything. That's my mumbo-jumbo for today, but I look forward to talking with you again soon. If you do want to reach out, schedule a call with me, you can do that at my website. It's Evan Brand. Hopefully you know it, how to spell it by now, but I'll spell it just in case. It's Evan, E-V-A-N, last name Brand, B-R-A-N-D, evanbrand.com. Go there. You can check out my Aura store, A-U-R-A. I have that in the menu bar. That is where I carry my entire line of professional-grade supplements that I have formulated and manufactured. And we also have the mold test kits from Immunolytics Laboratory. If you want to go on there and order those directly, you can. If you would like to just call Immunolytics Laboratory directly and order a test kit, just tell them Evan Brand sent you. I'm sure they would love to hear from you. The website for that is Immuno, like your immune system, I-M-M-U-N-O-Lytics, L-Y-T-I-C-S, Immunolytics.com. You can go there. There's a phone number. Tell them Evan sent you. They'll be happy to hear from you. You can order these plates, test your house, test your office, test your kid's school. I have so many kids these days that I work with. A lot of the schools are moldy. That's why the kid gets sick every three weeks. It's not something you're doing wrong as a parent. It's the environment the kid's in. So test everything. Don't guess. Test. That's my whole philosophy. All right. Take care. See you later. Bye. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool Kiss her girl and I never please her She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible blues Why I'm in a tie, I got to watch out, girl Don't wanna see her cry her eyes out, girl Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting Let me be the one that loves you better